0: Now, one more thing to talk about. Accessibility. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of Design Chat with Josh. I'm your host, Josh Reach. And in this lovely design podcast today, we are going to talk about accessibility. And I know I talked a little bit about this before in terms of colorblindness. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, today I want to talk about accessibility mainly because it's something that's becoming more and more common that we're hearing about in our kind of world and industry as designers, especially product designers and web designers in particular if you're designing for the web. but it's it's kind of crazy that we're just now, like it's starting to become this big thing now when it it should have always been a big deal. And to be quite honest, I don't think it's, it's as important as it should be right now. Uh, it's not talked about enough and it's not really something that us designers think about a whole lot, at least not as much as we should. Uh, I'm guilty of this too, by the way. So <laughs> I'm not innocent in any of this. Uh, but I wanted to talk about just kind of my uh, kind of quick go-to uh kind of accessibility guidelines, uh, things that I keep in mind when I'm designing um, and that I've learned in even recent years or just even honestly, some of this goes back to basic design principles and foundations, uh, like I could trace some of this stuff back to when I was in college for graphic design. Uh, but somehow we managed to lose sight of accessibility and we think about Maybe it's something being a pretty shiny portfolio piece instead of actually being something that someone who can't see very well or can't hear very well uh, can use. Uh, So why does it matter? That's that's really the first thing we have to talk about is why does accessibility matter? And there's a couple reasons that I like to think of as to why accessibility matters. Number one for me has always been, it matters because people matter, (laughs) okay? Uh, the people who are using your products or viewing your website, whatever it may be, they matter, and, and all of them matter. Okay, and really and truly, uh, you know, when something isn't accessible, you may think, well, it's only going to be a small amount of people, right? But it may not be. Um, and even if it is, how is that fair, right? Like if it's they're not the majority of your users, like that's not very fair. Uh, and so. Uh, to me, I, I always think about the people. Like you know, it's it. I, I may not have a hard time, you know, reading this tiny text that's on this you know screen on the on my on my iPhone, right? But I know that there are people my age that would have a hard time reading it. And, but more importantly, there's people older than me that would have a hard time reading it. And I may not think that something looks pretty in 14 or 16 point type, uh, type fonts. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> type that's the. Anyway, um, <laughs> I may not think something looks pretty like that, right? But uh, in reality, it can be. Uh, and you can make something that looks very elegant, very nice, uh, without it, you know, but, but very large in terms of text size, for instance. I'm just using text size as an as a example, right? Um, but th- it matters. These, everybody absolutely matters. And I guarantee you, for whatever you're designing, there's probably enough people that have some sort of limitation or disability that are using your product or viewing your website uh, that it's enough people for you to be like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that it was that many, right? And so could you say no to a couple thousand people, um, you know, every year that come to visit your website and say, no, sorry, this isn't for you. No, you couldn't, right? You wouldn't want to do that. So think about them. Think about the humans that are actually using what you're designing or trying to view what you're designing. Um, and the other aspect of this and the other big reason why, and this is more of kind of a way businesses have been a little more motivated lately, um, Domino's comes to mind, uh, is uh, people can sue. If something is not accessible, people can sue the company. Um, it's not uh, uh, cheap for them to do that. And it's a very painstaking process. And granted, not a lot of people do. Uh, but the reality is like Domino's for instance, got sued recently by I believe it was somebody who was blind or visually impaired. Uh, that couldn't order a pizza on their website. And I've used Domino's website. It's even hard for those of us who can see sometimes. Uh, so um, that's just more of the actual UX of the whole thing. Um, but anyway, uh, so Domino's got sued, you know, and I believe the person that sued them won uh, from what I understood. So, you know, it, it was a win for people who have, you know, limited you know, vision uh, and, and that are visually impaired. Uh, but it's, you know, obviously a big wake-up call, I think, for a lot of large companies. Um, Accessibility matters. There are standards and guidelines by U.S. law that you do have to follow, and I believe the EU has its own set of laws as well when it comes to accessibility. Um, So technically, it can hold up in (laughs) a court. But, you know, we shouldn't have it get to that point. And I know there's sometimes people will kind of call out poor accessibility. Um, And it's more or less trying to make those strides to make something more accessible that matters. But uh, the thing is like, from a business perspective, nobody wants to get sued, so make your stuff accessible. Um, The other third one um, that I, I recently kind of, it was a little bit of an aha moment and somebody that I work with that actually mentioned it, is, you know, if you make something accessible for people who are visually impaired, or people who have motor skills that are limited, you know, like you know, dexterity issues or something, and it's usable for them and enjoyable for them, it's by default going to be more enjoyable and easier to use for the rest of the people that are using it. So it's a win-win. I mean, if you make something that is easier to read, it's gonna be, you know, for, for say, uh, uh, somebody who can't see very well, then people who can see well are gonna be able to read it even better, you know? And you can, again, you can make something look good and follow these accessibility guidelines. Uh, so what are these guidelines though, right? There's there's all sorts of guidelines in terms of accessibility. The WCAG uh, guidelines are kind of the ones that I generally try to follow. Um, they're m- mainly they're made for the web, but I apply them to any type of digital product. I mean, I don't, from what I've seen, there isn't any type of like dedicated accessibility guidelines for mobile apps. Um, and i find that a little strange uh but i think that's why most people just use like the web standards to to follow um when they're making an app because it's (laughs) when we design for the web we design for phones and tablets too now Uh, a lot of us design for phones first right the whole mobile first methodology but if anybody listening does know like what uh, accessibility guidelines are out there specifically for mobile apps, let me know. Because again, I think the web ones work perfectly fine um, if you're applying them to a touchscreen or, or tablet. Uh, but the web ones do sometimes actually, like specifically they talk about some of the keyboard inputs and commands and, and, and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird, but uh, ultimately like it's it all comes down to usability. Like. Is it usable and and is it easy to use? Um, not just for you who are who's designing it, but is it usable for your users and your users are the people using your product or using your website? They're a huge audience. Um, but those are generally the standards that, that that I follow. And and there are like different levels of standards. There's like a double A compliance. There's an, an A. I think it's A double A and then triple A. And triple A is like really tough to meet. Uh, those, those standards. A lot of people will follow like the AA standards, um, for like, for, for the, I call them WCAG, WCAG standards. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, those, those are, the, the AA ones are, are pretty robust and they will help a tremendous amount of your audience. And I believe those are legally the ones that you should be complying by. Um, but the, the AAA ones, they're, they're tough. Like literally, like, I mean, honestly, you just make everything black and white and big text and that's it. You know? <laughs> um, and you'll probably meet AAA standards. But anyway, um, I, I advise you to kind of look up, just Google WCAG, you know, web standards and you'll find what I'm looking for. I'm not gonna go through and try to have you remember this from a podcast episode. It's definitely something you need to read through. Um, There are uh, like accessibility uh, tools out there. Uh, The one I like to use a lot is for color. Um, And I guess that could bring us right into like, what are the standards that generally I keep top of mind um, when I'm designing. And then some of them I have to look back on and go back to kind of do a little audit on, but these are ones that I generally uh, think of when I'm designing for um, digital products or the web. All right, these are very, very basic uh, uh, accessibility standards here, okay? Again, this is more of just like a, you need to start thinking about this kind of episode, and here's just some of the things that I follow, um, some of my motivators in making things accessible. Uh, but there is a lot more to look into, and there's a lot of research out there, a lot of great resources. You, those of you who are listening know how to use the internet, I assume, so just Google it. <laughs> like. You don't, you just Google it. Uh, but for me, these are the top things that I always keep in mind when I'm designing. Um, the first is color and color contrast, um, in particular color contrast. The contrast ratio for uh, kind of the web accessibility standards are, God, I can't remember. But anyway, I, I never remember the actual ratio. What I have to do is actually plug it into, I, I believe WebAIM has a, uh, yeah, it's WebAIM that has a tool um, and I'll actually look it up right now while I'm talking about this. Uh, but it has a tool where you can actually input like the hex code for uh, like two different numbers, the foreground and the background. And it'll tell you if it passes accessibility standards and it'll tell you the different levels of those um, accessibility standards too. Let's see, WebAIM color contrast. Uh, but yeah, so I'm so not prepared for this, by the way. I should have pulled this up before I started recording, but there it is, <laughs> WebAIM Contrast Checker. Uh, So yeah, there's, oh, they show the AA and the the AAA standards. Maybe there isn't a single A. Is there a single A? I don't know there's a single A now. I don't ever pay attention to it because AA and AAA are what (laughs) you need to think about. Um, But uh, it breaks it down from like normal text, large text, and then like actual interface components and objects. And if that color contrast will meet the proper like ratio to be able to be seen by for instance, people who are colorblind, which I've done a whole episode on because I myself am very colorblind. Um, I have a severe red-green colorblindness. I still see color, by the way. It's not like everything's black and white, but I, basically everything's like desaturated to about 40% of the actual color that I can see. Um, and I know that because of the Enchroma glasses that I have. So I actually know what color things should look like now. Um, what yeah, what things should look like in color now gosh it's been a long day you guys um (laughs) but anyway so this this contrast checker so if you just look up web aim uh contrast checker it's actually webaim.org uh a-i-m um they have a great tool that it's been something that i've referenced for quite a while some of the contrast i have questioned i'm like is it really not meeting the accessibility standards um but if you take into consideration colorblindness, like it may not be meeting those, that contrast. But that's like a big thing. For me, that is, that is, is, I've kind of have a built-in tool myself being colorblind, so I can actually look at something and be like, that's, there's not enough contrast there between those colors. Um, whereas for somebody who can see full color might actually think that there is plenty of contrast. Um, but, you know, it, it even goes down to things like if you're using thin outlined icons and they're small and they're different colors, and maybe they're all the same shape, but they're different colors or something like that. There's a lot of us who can't see those different colors and there's not enough contrast with whatever background that you have. Like we just can't see it. Uh, So that's where kind of the guidelines come in of when you're designing something say like an actual uh, icon that's supposed to communicate something other than just being like this visual. It's supposed to actually maybe be a, a button or some sort of action that a user is supposed to take. It's best to add a label in there just because a lot of us may not see the color that you have in that icon, um, and we may not <laughs> we may not actually be able to see the icon itself if it's too small. So that's people who are say visually impaired. Uh, but the contrast is one big thing that that I absolutely like it's always top of mind and I'm a little biased because I'm colorblind myself. Uh, But the text size is also something else, and the the icon size as well, so the color plays into that. Um, But even if there isn't color and you have great contrast and it's literally just black and white, um, you got to keep in mind that there's different screen sizes that we're often designing for. Um, there are people who still use iPhone SEs. There are still people that use, there's a lot of people that use budget Android phones that maybe have a smaller screen or lower resolution. Things might get pixelated. Um, and so text becomes harder to read. And that's something that you absolutely have to keep in mind. i, I for a while, it was like 14 point text was like the the go-to standard, but I heard recently that 16 is, or something like that, um, but ultimately it, there, there's a couple different varying opinions, I think, on it, but just make sure your stuff is big enough for somebody who's visually impaired to read, um, and again, make sure that color contrast is right. This is like basic stuff, though, like basic design principles, right, and your design foundations, even as a graphic designer, like yeah you make yourself large enough so that people can actually read it whether it be on print on a screen whatever it may be like you got to make sure it's big enough not just for your young eyes if you're very young but for somebody who is a little bit harder at seeing um you know they, they shouldn't have to use their readers all the time to you know see your headlines on whatever you're creating um, whether it be a site or some printed brochure or something if you're designing for print Um, So this is kind of like, it's kind of common sense, right? You would think, but think about how many times you've seen something, Behance is a great example of this. Go on Behance and look at some cool, like awesome designs that designers will create, passion projects and things like that. And you know, like the passion projects and stuff that actually isn't launched out there. Like it doesn't really follow the standards. People just go crazy and want something that looks really cool, which is fun. Like, I mean, I have no problem with that. Designers just want to make cool shit sometimes. Like that's totally cool. Um, but you can do it with make you know and make it accessible as well because some of the text is just too small. Or they make my favorite is on Behance, they'll make this beautiful presentation um, of their work and they'll put the text in the imagery and have this cool background because you can't really customize the background. And so, anyway, um, and on desktop, I'll pull it up on, on a desktop computer at home or at work or whatever and it'll look great. I'll be like, oh, I can read that barely, but I can read it. But then you pull it up on a phone and the text is so microscopic and that you can't see it and because it's embedded in the image you can't highlight it either which brings me to the next thing (laughs) screen readers is another thing that i keep in mind a lot lately now basically the 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 whole point of this is your whatever you're designing should be easily read by a screen reader which means don't put text in your images in your header images in uh, your Behance profile images. And I know I have some Behance projects up there right now that use text in the images. I know it violates it, I'm sorry. Um, but I'm getting away from that. Uh, you'll notice the recent projects don't do that as much. But anyway, uh, but when you have, especially when you're you're actually promoting like a website, uh, or you're, you're not promoting, but you're, you're creating a website for a product or a brand, like your text should be in HTML. And, and it should be styled with CSS, and you should not be putting it in your images and relying on somebody to see and be able to read what's in the image in order to read that headline. Um, because that doesn't meet accessibility standards. Uh, screen readers cannot read that. And it also causes issues in terms of size. Like again, back to the Behance example, like when something on Behance is big, uh, or it is embedded, I'm sorry, and, and big enough for a desktop in an image, that doesn't mean that on a mobile device, it's gonna scale down and and still be readable. It's not gonna be readable because it's embedded in the image and all the text and everything shrinks down. It can't scale up like, you know, it should on a mobile device. Um, So that's just kind of something to keep in mind. But the, the other thing too is like, I always think of not just the screen readers and like being sure that they can actually read this stuff, but that they can also like read it in order. This is something new I learned as well was, you know, the way that you actually code your website or app or whatever it is, especially websites though, your like H1s and H2s and your paragraph text and all that, like all of that should be in proper order on your page. And there should be a clearly defined hierarchy so that when screen readers do pan through and screen, you know, read through a page, they're not jumping all over the place because some of them will jump to an H1, but you might have an H2 style above that. And now the whole thing screwed up, right? It reads your headline and then it reads the actual title of the page. And it's like, what well, wait, what? And it, so it just kind of gets all jumbled and, and it, it, it could be a pain sometimes because there's some really cool designs and you want like a nice little tiny label up at the top or something, but it does screw up screen readers. Like don't get too crazy with that. Um, make sure there's proper hierarchy. Again, basic design foundations here, proper hierarchy not just in visual design but also in your code as well. Um, But um, and then the the other thing that I always keep in mind too and this is one I really try to keep in mind especially for mobile devices is make sure your target area is big enough for uh, your users meaning when you have a button say even if it's just a text button like it's just a text link right Um, that is floating by itself right you just have you just have text with like a little like chevron arrow make sure that there's actually a target area around that and i'm not talking about inline text when you have a link within a paragraph of text i'm talking like a button that's just kind of floating out by itself the text shouldn't be the only thing that's clickable you should have an area around it that's clickable as well um, and for your inline text too, another accessibility guideline here is make sure your text is clearly, like the links in your inline links, that you know, so links within a paragraph are clearly defined as links, whether it be uh, in proper contrast of color or, or um, uh, what was the other? Oh, or uh, weight of the font as well. Uh, but also, and really the best way to do it, is just underline your damn links. Like, I know it's not sexy, like a lot of visual designers like, don't like underlined links. It's so 2003, right? But the reality of the situation is, for a lot of us, we can't see your stupid blue hyperlink text that matches your brand when it's surrounded by black text because there's not enough color contrast. It all blends together. So now we have no idea what's actually a link. So, underline your links, your inline links, just don't, don't, as I saw on a tweet recently, don't be a monster, underline your links. Um, But the whole target area, though, like your buttons and everything, like they should be big enough for people to actually tap on and click on, too. Even on desktop, I've ran into some issues where it's sometimes hard with a mouse to actually click on some of these buttons and links. Your buttons should be big enough, they should be a big enough area, it's okay. I feel like we're getting more and more into, like, the fact that it is okay to make bigger target areas and bigger buttons and bigger text because the design itself, like, I've noticed a lot of UI design, it's kind of shifting to bigger but, like, less content and copy and better contrast and brighter colors and things like that. So, it's actually, like, the trend is actually working in favor of accessibility lately. Um, But those are just things though that honestly, they're so simple to keep in mind that, and and they will make a huge difference for your users, for whether it's an app or a website, whatever it may be, it'll make a big, big difference for them. Um, So that's just some of my many guidelines that I try to follow. And there's other ones too. And again, I encourage you to look up the WCAG standards to look up 508 compliance and things like that as well. It's not sexy, it's not fun. But what is fun is seeing people be able to easily use your stuff and interact with your designs because you followed these standards. And also, it's fun not getting sued. So so keep that in mind, um, you know, when you're you're designing. And this is really, you know, again, this is really for bigger companies. Obviously, people generally aren't going to sue an individual, but um, at least I hope they wouldn't, but we are in America. Uh, So... But uh, you know, it's, it's just keep, keep it in mind, though. Uh, accessibility does matter, um, and it, it has a ripple effect. If you make something accept- accessible to like, a minority of your users, it's going to be even easier to use for the majority of your users, too. And that's all I got. Not just for this episode, but for the whole podcast as well. That's right, you probably guessed by the title of this episode that it's the final episode of Design Chat with Josh. And yes, it's true. The podcast is coming to an end. All great things must come to an end eventually. And there's a few reasons why I'm letting this die a nice noble death right now. (laughs) Uh, The biggest being, uh, simply, uh, I am running out of things to talk about on this podcast. Meaningful things. I want this, every episode, really, to be something that is useful. It's not just me rambling or scraping the bottom of the barrel or trying to, you know, create opinions without backing them up with some sort of experience or facts. Um, So because that's becoming increasingly more difficult, uh, and we're now 49 episodes in, if you count the bonus episodes, uh, I've decided to, uh, to let the podcast go. This wasn't an easy decision. This is something that I have been thinking about for a while. Um, and I know some of you are going to be pretty disappointed, uh, but don't fret. Uh, I will still be out there in the world sharing ideas and thoughts on design. I will just be on Medium more, um, writing articles on Medium about design, uh, obviously less frequently than the, uh, the episodes that I record here on the podcast. Uh, but uh, yes, it, that, that, is, that is probably the biggest reason, um, amongst other reasons, like for the simple fact that I'm refocusing on myself and improving myself, doing some side projects uh, and, and improving my skills as a designer. Uh, so sometimes you have to learn to to trim some things out. Um, so I have thoroughly enjoyed making this podcast for the past 49 episodes and I am so grateful and happy that it has helped a lot of you who are listening. Uh, So thank you so much for listening uh, through all of these episodes. And maybe someday I'll be back on another podcast someday. But for now, uh, you can find me on Medium. Just look for Joshua Reach on Medium. You'll find me. (laughs) And of course, please stay connected on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. I will still be out there in the world. I'm not going to become some hermit. (laughs) But that's it. That's all. That's all I got. So thank you all so much for listening and goodbye.